maybe to kind of set the stage before we go into the text. I have a daughter. She's stuck in the middle of two boys, and she learned how to twirl. She she was a you know majorette, and um, I'll never forget. I will never forget when when she first learned to twirl because I videoed it right. <laughs> And I watched that sucker on repeat, and I just thought, well, she's the, I mean, she's the greatest human ever. Look at her twirl this baton. And then, I'll never forget the first time she threw it up and then caught it. And then I was like, look at this young lady. She's a prodigy, right? <laughs> and so I videoed that, and I put it on repeat. And then the day, I can still, uh, Julie Beth, remember as well, I, we got the video where she caught her first two-turn. Woo! <laughs> like that should make y'all, woo, you know. And I was, I watched it on repeat over and over and over and over. And, and then she, you know, did other things and, and just kept watching it on repeat more and more and more because I never wanted to lose just the grandeur of that moment. Hebrews has been doing that to us every week. Have y'all caught that? It's on repeat. Jesus is greater than anything. Over and over and over and over. Here's the outline, if you hadn't been with us. That's, that's all the writer of Hebrews has been screaming to us is, keep watching the repeat footage of how excellent Jesus is. Keep watching it. He's more supreme than angels and the law and Moses and the land. And today we're going to hit he's more supreme than priests. He, he caught the two-turn, if you will. Um, he's more supreme than temples and sacrifices and He's just going to say this over and over and over because He never wants us to lose the majesty and never wants us to be unmesmerized. Is that a word? <laughs> By Jesus. So if God will be gracious to us today, we're going to look at Him one more time and see how incredible Jesus truly is. God's been speaking to us. He's always spoken and He speaks through His Son. Last week introduced Christ as the Word flesh via the Word script. He, he, he is the excellent Word that is living, that is active, that is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting this away and that away. Piercing soul, spirit, bone, marrow. He's, he's that powerful. And no creature is hidden from His sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him whom we must give account. That's where we ended last week. Do you guys remember that? I know a lot of you do. Because I had several people, I had multiple people say of last week, man, that text feels very heavy. The word slicing us open feels heavy. And I want to respond to that before we, before we sit down and continue. Like right now you're going, are we ever going to sit down? We'll sit down. We'll sit down at some point. I want to respond to that just like Tyler did before communion, if you remember last week. It's only when Christ passes through every recess of our hearts, dark spots and all, it's only when He cuts that deep, when we're laid naked and exposed before Him, it's only then that we're ready to receive mercy and grace. We couldn't get to Christ the great high priest and you wouldn't have understood it unless we laid filleted before him as we did last week as the living word. So, 
With that said, I'm going to pray. And then if God is gracious to us, Lord, be gracious to us. We're just going to look at him one more time. See how awesome Jesus is. Let's pray together. So as a, as, a, as a church body, last week, Lord, we our depravity was laid on display as we thought about Christ piercing and cutting and, and all those things. It's just, we just contemplated that. We felt it, Lord. And God, for those, for those here in the room that, that were not a part of that, that even now they'll begin to contemplate just the the deep, dark recesses of their own heart to, so that we'll be ready for your embrace as a high priest. So, make us a people who want to keep watching repeat footage of how excellent you are. I God, I just think, I, the accuser is real And God, we speak against him in the name of Jesus. He has no authority in this place. But God, we know he's real. But today, show us that our advocate is even more superior and more real. So Jesus, be our advocate today as the great high priest. It's your precious name we pray. Amen. Be seated. Well, welcome to Safe Haven. My name is Troy Nicholson. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. We're glad you're here. And we do go through books of the Bible. We're in the book of Hebrews. We've made it all the way to chapter 4, and it's taken us since January to make it here. So it's been, it's been quite a journey. I think January 21st is when we began. We're in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. We'll make it into chapter 5 this week as we continue. And here's what it says. Since then... We have a great high priest. Now, this is the new thing. Again, you just heard me say, all the Hebrews has been saying is Jesus is better than, he's better than, better than angels, better than this, better than that. And now today, we're going to kick off this theme of he is this great high priest. That's going to be the new thing. And that will carry all the way, actually, through chapter 10. So it's kind, of a, it's kind of the longest chunk of Jesus is greater because he's this high priest. So it says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... So so think about that. Jesus was in eternity past. Uh, Jesus broke the atmospheric plane by the the cry of a baby in a manger. Um, So he passed through the heavens into our earth. And then he also uh, passed underneath the earth and then resurrected and then ascended into heaven where he will one day return for his bride. And so he passed through the heavens, if you will. he's, He's the only one that's done this. We have this great high priest who's passed through the heavens. He's seen it all. Jesus, the Son of God. And because of this, let us hold fast our confession. And there it is, guys. It is like a in the gym or wherever you're at, or maybe in your car, it's like getting your, um, I almost said iPad, um, or iPod, and that's not the case either. you got your phone, and you put a song on repeat. Apple Music, you've got that, song, that one song on repeat that's just your jam, right? It's, it's like that. He, he keeps saying on repeat, 
hold fast to your confession. Jesus is enough over and over and over and over. That's what we've seen. And so, last week we considered Christ again for vertical reasons, these lofty reasons, and and now this week we also consider Him for these horizontal reasons. A high priest, an earthly high priest, something we can identify with, except He's going to make that majestic in our eyes as well. So we're going to consider that. In other words, all things are inferior to Christ. All people are inferior to Christ. He is majestically supreme. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And I'm going to pause right there as we continue through. I'm going to pause because I want you to see that the writer is indeed setting this high priestly ball on a tee so that he can pop it. I mean, he's... He wants you to see this. This high priest theme is is going to be the context here over and over. And so he's going to say Christ is better than all earthly high priests. He's he's greater than anything you can imagine. And so remember that. And don't bail. Now, as you've been thinking, why why would he go there? Why would he say, hey, Christ is better than angels, he's better than the law, he's better... Why would he say... He's better than high priests. Context, remember? Because they're Jews, they're considering bailing on Christ, and where would they go back to? The synagogue, and the synagogue is led by... You got this. The high priest. So so they're considering bailing, jumping back, and going to the high priest, and, and so the writer of Hebrews is saying, hold up, don't... Christ, um, all earthly priests pale in comparison to the great high priest. Why would you bail back to the synagogue is what he's getting at. So in other words, contextually, understand the contextual ball that he's knocking off is they've gone from worshiping God on Saturdays in a works-based religion, left that and gone to worshiping on Sundays in a grace-based, Christ-centered faith, And now they're considering bailing on that, jumping back to worshiping on Saturdays under the rules of religion through the law. They're trying to go back. And and so this is why this theme is so important. So for us, we may read through this and go, well, Christ is the great high priest. And we live post-cross and we go, of course he's greater than high priest. For them, it had far more weight. Does that make sense? We've got to understand that contextually. So he says this, We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize in our weakness, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In church, that is a loaded 15 words. Loaded 15 words. I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front that the message today will be heavy here. Um, heavy, not weight. Uh, but heavy loaded, and then the last section will fly through. So, so if you go, hey man, we're, Troy, we're, we're hanging out on 15 words for 10 minutes here. Are we ever going to get home to eat that fried chicken? <laughs> we will. The impact will go a lot faster, but these 15 words are very, very important. And what he's saying here is that, that Christ was indeed both tempted in every respect and yet without sin. And and those little phrases, again, I guess what I'm trying to say is words matter. Words matter deeply, and we want to make sure that we stay solid theologically on these words because you can read stuff into this that's just not there. 
maybe as I explain it, it'll make sense. I think he's saying three things. Three things are in view in those 15 words. Let's track, if you will, with me. They are all showing that he's unified with us in this temptation, but they are also showing he is very distinct from us in essence. And that's what we got to, both in his being and his outcome, I guess we could say. Number one, first thing I think this said here is this, that he's tempted in every respect as we are. That is, in his totality, not his specificity. Now, I feel like I made up a couple of words there, and I might have, okay? But we're going to go with it. What he's saying here is, in every way, in, in the totalness of his being, yes, he was tempted, but let's not jump the ship and go, okay, this verse means that he is tempted specifically like we are in every way, because that's not true. That's not true. Do you see how you could read that into that text? That's not true. Jesus was never tempted with credit card debt. It didn't exist. He was never tempted with digital social media intoxication. <laughs> he wasn't sitting there on Snapchat going, I know I've burnt 24 hours, but I'd love, maybe I should burn some more. He wasn't tempted with that. Um, he was never tempted specifically to run the red light. So specificity, he was not tempted in that way. Um, cheating on the, the Spanish test. Um, but he was tempted in totality, in every respect, in every way, totally like we are. That is true. And we need to, we, we got to get that. Because you could take that verse and go, he was tempted in specificity and come up with a humdinger of a sermon. That was not true at all biblically. And some people do that, and we're not going to do that. We will stay solid theologically, okay? But he was tempted in totality. Now, what does that mean? In totality, he did have the fullness of the image of God. He was made in flesh, though divine, hypostatic union. He had all of the, the four elements of being made in the image of God. He had a will. He had intellect. He had spirit. He had emotion. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. We were given will, intellect, spirit, emotion. That's our total being, and he was tempted in all of those facets. I think that's what the writer's trying to remind us of. That he was tempted in every way, that way, like we are. Where do we see some of these things? Just flesh, I'll run through a couple of them real, real fast. Number one, he was tempted to sin, certainly, with his will. Christ was tempted to sin. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane, right? The Garden of Gethsemane where he knew that it was time to receive the full crushing of the Lord. And what did he say? Father, let this cup what? Say it. Come on. Come on, church. Let's be fun. Let it pass. I don't want this. In my will, I don't want this. Yet not... My will be done, but your will be done. He was, he was tempted in that way. He was tempted to sin with his intellect. <laughs> A passage I think about with this, or I was, I was processing through this, was when Mary and Joseph uh, left him at the temple when he was 12 years old. You know, 
I can only imagine they giggle about this in eternity. You know, Jesus is like, hey, you know, I was God, came flesh, I came into your home, and you left me at the temple. You know, you just, you abandoned, you left the God man. You know, whatever. But you, you remember what happened in that moment. In that moment, as he was left behind, as his parents left him and went on their journey, they came back and they found Jesus teaching all of the rulers, and he exceeded them in all wisdom. Now, in this moment, when they come back, Jesus very well could have said, Listen, I was here doing the Lord's work because I'm God. You parents, I don't need you anymore. Thanks a lot for getting me to 12 years. I don't need you. I'm far superior to you. But that is not what the text says. In that moment where it had to be his intellect rising up far superior to everybody else, growing in wisdom and stature, that this is written... He went down to Nazareth with his parents and was obedient to them. Though tempted, though rightfully could have said, I'm God, submitted to them. He was tempted to sin certainly with his spirit. Soldiers came to arrest him with clubs and chains in Matthew 26. You'll remember this. And in his spirit... He said, I can call 12 legions of angels to come crush you. And then this peculiar verse. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? This must be so. Tempted, yet submitting. Tempted to muscle up, take matters in his own hands. You ever been there? Something comes your way and you think, does God really care? Does God even really know? I'll just muscle my spirit up and I'll I'll do it on my own. Right? He, He felt that. And perhaps even tempted to muscle down in this moment. Things come your way, it's, 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 too, it's too hard to bear. And in your spirit, you go, I'm not going to rise up. I'm just going to bury my head in the sand and hide and just become apathetic and let things play out. He wasn't that either. But yet, he identifies with that temptation. And then tempted to sin in his emotion. My, my favorite passage with his emotion certainly is the temple. When the temple became a marketplace, you guys remember this. Um, everybody started setting up tables and selling pigeons and all kind of stuff for sacrifice. and You know, had the t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. They didn't have that shirt back then. Um, uh, tempted to do that. Jesus comes in and, and he begins flipping tables. I mean, he's grabbing, slinging stuff, you know. I would have loved to have been in that moment. Um, I can identify with that. Tempted. Tempted to be angry. with, And he had every right to rage in that moment in a way that, that could have overcome that flesh and, and turned into sin, but he, he didn't. He never went there. He always kept a righteous anger. I am angry, but I'm angry because this is the Lord's house. This is for God's glory. I'm standing for God's glory. And so tempted, yet bridled, yet without sin. We can be certain that all those temptations that we feel in our will intellect, spirit, and emotion. We can be sure that all of those things came knocking at Christ's door, yet without sin. Praise the Lord. How many in this room, by a show of hands, 
can say that you have been tempted in all of these ways? Raise your hand. If you've been tempted in these ways, raise your hand. Now, yet without sin, leave your hand up. Okay, Wheezy's the only one that kept her hand up. <laughs> she was scratching her face. I thought that, I'm not that, yeah, okay, we'll keep going. And that's where it goes. It says he was tempted in every respect, in his totality of being, but number two, yet without sin. That is, most importantly, that he had no sin nature. Catch that. Because it would be easy for us first to jump to, he's been tempted in every way, but yet he didn't sin. That's true, but I don't think that's the author's point. I think it is a point, but I think the author's point first is, he was tempted in every way, yet distinct without sin. He had no sin nature. Now, why do I say that? Because though he bore the image of God, he was also very distinct in that sin never rose up from within him. All sin, temptation that came or towards Christ was from without. It never rose up from within, and that's what's distinct from us. Now, now why do I say that? Because Christ is not tempted from within like we are due to our corrupt sin nature. We are fallen people whose hearts, as Calvin says, are perpetual idol factories. I love that phrase. We can be sitting in a room, like you could leave this room right now. You could head out to your, um, to your bedroom. And but let's don't do bedroom. Let's do, because um, it's pretty outside. Um, you go out to your Eno hammock. And you're, you pop out in the hammock and the, the breeze is blowing. You could be sitting there. You could get a Bible. Lay it on your chest. Begin studying. And rest assured that at some point, something begins to bubble up as you're reading your Bible in creation that rises up these sinful thoughts. Anybody been? Any, <laughs> nobody will be willing to admit that. So I'll just go ahead and say it for us. You've all been there. In the midst of a Bible study, in a hammock, and all of a sudden starts bubbling up within you these sinful things, Jesus didn't have that. That's why the virgin birth is so incredibly important. He does identify, but he's yet without sin. He didn't have that from within. Christ's temptations were from without And that does not contradict in any way the fact that he was tempted in every respect. That doesn't impact the totality of temptation. What I mean by all that is this. It was others that pressed him to overindulge. It was others that pressed him to entertain gossip. It was others that pressed him to entertain whatever thought it was. It was others who pressed him from without, and I think you could even argue in this moment, it was others who probably pressed him, tempted him to trust in the law and its sufficiency. Had to be. He heard it all day long from the Pharisees. This is how you get righteous. This is how you get righteous. And in his flesh, there there had to be that outward moment of, whoa, what do I do with it? No, (laughs) no, this is not... This is not the case. He's tempted in every respect. 
If he was corrupt from the inside, then he's no longer the Savior at all. And that's the miracle, again, of the hypostatic union, divine yet flesh, distinct yet simultaneously can identify with us. Who is like that? Anyone. Nobody. And that's the writer's point. That's his point. Be mesmerized by him. Nothing or no one is like him. Daniel Schrock says it this way. The quote will be on the screen. Jesus' experience of temptation is a testing of what he will do. It's a trial into which he is placed in order for him to demonstrate his obedience. It is not by any means an experience in which he is inclined or internally lured by illicit desire. Rather, it's a moment in which his impeccable purity of heart is manifest and proven by means of external trial. He is like us in totality, yet without sin. He has no nature like ours, and then also yet without sin, number three, in that he indeed never sinned. That's also simultaneously true. He was tested in all ways, but he, he never sinned. Church, he lost friends. He gets it. He knows what that feels like. He was hungry. He gets it. He knows what that's like. He was tired. He was afraid. He was all of these things. He was drained in every facet of his being. And in the bottom depths of those moments, you can rest assured that Satan came knocking at his door which is exactly what happened in the great temptation. You remember that? <clears throat> Hadn't eaten 40 days, 40 nights, at his weakest, at his lowest, and then that's when Satan comes busting on the scene, just like he does with you. You ever noticed how temptation always bubbles up within, but comes knocking really strong in those late hours when you're really tired? Satan does the exact same thing. Blasted him just like he tries to do with us. And because of that, the glory is not that Jesus will lord over us and go, hey, I did it, why didn't you do it? He knows who he is in divinity. It's so that he can come up to us and go, hey, 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 hold my hand. I know where you've been. I get it. I sympathize with you. That church is the Jesus of the Bible that needs to be screamed over and over and over that is rarely talked about. Usually the Jesus you get is this. All right, Kayvon, I'm watching you, buddy. Mess up. And I'm about to zap the hair right off your head. That's why mine is gone, because I sin so much. <laughs> it's stop. That's, that's what we hear a lot. Is Jesus this overlord ogre who's going, how dare you, I cannot wait. It's almost the feeling of, I cannot wait to damn you. Like that's my, I cannot wait. That's not the Jesus of the Bible at all. And he's painting the picture of this high priest. He goes, no, no, he was tempted in every way, not so that he stands like this, so that he stands like this and says, come, come. I get it. I've been there. 
Let's walk through this together. Praise the Lord for our great high priest. And so, this accomplishment does indeed make him superior to anyone or anything. So why? Why would you bail back to the high priest in the synagogue? Y'all get it? It's a lot there. I hope your community groups has a lot of fun time chewing through that. If you're not a part of a community group, man, talk to Tyler after the service and let him help you get plugged into one. He gets you. He bids you come to him, skint knees and all, falling off the bicycle, and he's got the salve that can fix that blood on that knee. And then verse 16, that was the chunk I warned you about. But it's so good. That's so good, church. Now the rest of it. Verse 16. So because of this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So we don't draw near to a high priest in fickleness afraid that he is going to be like, I'm better than you. We draw near in confidence that he goes, I identify. I get it. In my flesh, I walked through those things. We walked through in that. If you were in an airplane and somebody handed you a parachute and said, this is your only hope, you would go, hey. <laughs> now, there's the adventurous people that would be like, you know. Um, but the majority of us would be like, I don't know if this parachute's going to hold up or not. If it's my only shot, I'll give it a whirl, you know, whatever. We don't approach Jesus like a parachute in wishing maybe he can accomplish it. Because he has been there, done that, we approach him in the same that good grief that we approach this ground right here. There's not a single person in this room who before I said this, or I'm going to say this, there's not a person in this room that thought to yourself, well, I sure hope this ground holds me up today. Did anybody do that? Because if you did, we need to admit you. Right. Nobody questioned that. Not one person questioned whether the ground was going to hold them up or not. Because Jesus has gone there, done that, we have hope and confidence just like the ground that He can hold us up and He can hold up the rest of the world simultaneously. We're that confident in His work because of His high priestliness. And He's sufficient to hold all of that weight and the confidence ultimately comes because as we approach Him with that confidence, we receive mercy and grace. We receive mercy and grace. When you come to Christ with your habits, hang-ups, hiccups, is your first inclination to go, man, He is there to give me mercy and grace. Man, I hope it is. I hope you've made it there in the gospel. Mercy. We do not get what we do deserve. We do deserve wrath and damnation. And we don't get that from our great high priest. Grace. We get what we do not deserve. Unfailing, unmerited love. Over. Over. So when we come to him, he doesn't, as an earthly high priest may do, he doesn't say, okay, well, I'm glad you came to me. Now I'm going to need you to go do 75 Hail Marys. And that's not throwing the football, but praying the Hail Marys. 
And I'm going to offer you this packages of indulgences. If you buy a couple of them, then you'll be forgiven of your sins. He don't do that. He don't offer us those things. He don't say, good, go work it off. When we come to him, he doesn't send us off to gather more sacrifices. Lord, here's where I'm at. Great, I I will forgive you if you go sacrifice, give this, do that, blah, blah, blah. When we come to him, he gives us exactly what we need as the great high priest. You ready for it? He gives us his all-sufficient merit. And that's what we need. Chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest on earth, the earthly limited priest, for every high priest is chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Catch these dualities. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin, just as he does those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So now he's going to contrast earthly priests and the high priest. And there are going to be some similarities, but then there's going to be some massive differences. Let's look at limited priests. Or we could say maybe, what is a high priest? Not the high priest, what is a high priest? He says this, well, they're appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God. That means they're servants. They're not sons, they're servants. They offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And in offering a sacrifice, the implication is if I offer it, it may or what? May not be received. That's earthly priest. Understanding because they know what weakness is like, they... Earthly priests do get that. We don't have priests at Safe Haven Church. We are a kingdom of priests. But I hope you still feel that, that there is nobody who is allowed to proclaim or teach that would say that they're better than anybody else. I hope you feel that at Safe Haven. We are all in the same boat. Okay? They must offer sacrifices for all, including themselves, and they don't pick this on their own. Now let's look at the high priest, verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We journeyed through that, church. I hope you remember that. In the days of his flesh... Contrast, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect could be translated in being proven as perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. This has come up several times in the past week, so I want to say it out loud to make sure you get it. There is no category in Scripture for someone who wants to come to Christ that cannot come to Christ. 
Anybody that wants to come can come. He says this. He now is the source of eternal salvation to all who obey. Being designated by God high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he's not a limited high priest. He is the unlimited high priest. He is the high priest. Now let's look at the things he said here. This high priest in Christ is appointed to act on behalf of God as a son to minister to men. There's a distinction. He offered up prayers, supplications, all of this in reverence for sure, but a high priestly prayer of John 17 is for you. He offered up specific prayer for you. He offered up crushing of his own flesh in sacrificial substitution. No high priest on earth could do that. Uh, They could offer themselves up as sacrifice, but it doesn't mean anything. He could. Why? Back it up. Because he was tempted in all ways, every respect, yet without sin. That's what makes him distinct. No limited priest can do this. And he who knew no sin became sin, but also proved himself perfect through suffering and then ultimately in the resurrection. And that's what the resurrection is. It's proving that he's perfect. No other person who had died before, the Lord goes, oh, you conquered death, boom, up from the grave you arose until Christ. And that's the beauty of Easter. Man, I hope you go to Belk and buy the coolest outfit Easter has ever seen. Does anybody go to Belk anymore? No. Amazon? I don't know. TJ Maxx, right? Or maybe the thrift store. You know, I don't, whatever. I hope, I hope Easter's awesome. I hope you eat so many marshmallow peeps that they're just out of, coming out your ear. I hope all of those things are true. It's great. I hope you take pictures. I hope it's sunny outside. I hope you have more deviled eggs than has ever been eaten. I hope that Easter is incredible, but this is the crux of the resurrection. In the resurrection, the Father goes, He's perfect! He's perfect! You rise because you broke the curse. What high priest on earth could ever claim that? None. Why would you go back? He's excellent. And he became the source of eternal salvation because of this for all. Qualification. Who obey the Lord. Everybody wants to trust in Jesus as Savior. But not everybody wants to trust Him as Lord. There's the distinction. Right. Kim Riddlebarger summarizes the entire passage beautifully by saying this. It's not going to be on the screen. Jesus is as God as God ever is. And He's also as human as a human ever is. And no one else has those credentials, which is why He offering Himself is so very unique. Isn't that good? It's good. What a great summary. The old covenant was, you just keep offering sacrifices. Hey, and we'll do the we'll do the same if we're not careful, don't we? We'll just like try to offer more sacrifices to prove how good we are to the Lord. We're like, okay, God, yeah. 
if you get me out of this pickle, anybody ever been there? If you get me out of this pickle, I will never do that again. How long did that last? About three hours. <laughs> Get me out of this. I'll never do that again. I will offer more sacrifice. Let's be careful. He is the only sacrifice. And we just respond in worship. That's why we're here today. We worship. We just worship. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. I don't deserve it. You earned it. And I'm stunned that you freely give it. That's the heartbeat of a believer. And if you don't have that heartbeat, like if something within you is still like, nah, no, I've, no, I've still gotta, I've got to, I've got to do this, you don't get it. And I don't, I'm not loving you if I don't tell you that you don't get it, if that's your heartbeat. The new covenant is this. It is... And conversely, Safe Haven's always trying to stay pendulum center. (laughs) This passage does also strongly rebuke any tendency in a believer to say, I cannot help but sin because that's my nature. It rebukes that too. Did you catch it? Because he's the high priest. And he's going, oh no, brother. That sin you're struggling with, I'll come walk it with you. Because we're going to conquer this. So don't you dare go, all I can do is sin. Uh Uh-uh. That is belittling the high priest and his work. And also belittling the Holy Spirit that dwells within. Pendulum center. Christ's mercy. Praise the Lord. And we worship because he gave us grace and mercy. And that looks like real practical everyday living. Pendulum center. So what? So what? What do we do with all this? Yes. Man, I love this passage. It's my favorite passage today. <laughs> what do we do with all this? Well, here's what we do with it. Did you read the devotional this week that Kim Porter wrote? Holy moly. If you didn't, I'll read it for you. How many times have I attempted to hide from the Lord because of my weaknesses? How often have I ceased praying because I was afraid that He'd see the real me and then I'd have to confront the real me? How many times have I tried to overcome my weaknesses in my own strengths just so that I could approach God? But this week's passage shatters that line of thinking. Let's approach God's throne of grace with bold confidence, with our weaknesses in hand, knowing that there will be a sympathetic great high priest there with arms wide open, ready to make His power perfect in our weaknesses. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. I feel that, Lord. Like I feel that in my bones. 
I am so prone to be the one who is so quick to tuck my head in shame. And and, and i got to quit doing this or start doing this or figure it out or work it up or get better or whatever it is before I can come to you. And Lord, as as I chew through this passage, what a slap in the face to your sufficient work on the cross. Oh Lord, may we be a people who love you enough to be real and honest and come to you with all of our guts filleted open and go, hey, here's what I am. And then watch you as the great high priest walk in and say, I get it. And my work is sufficient for you. May we have that high view of the cross and the resurrection. May Easter mean way more than sundresses and khakis. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.